in Jesus, and we do pray that as the, the little the young one grows, that they will enter into that personal relationship with the living Christ, because there is nothing better. But just before we come around the word, would you just bow your heads with me one more time, and let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Precious Father, we want to thank you for who you are, God. That you are the ancient of days, Father. That, Lord, that you, Father, were there in the beginning. You will be there in the end. And you are still here in the middle, Father, with us this day. And so, Father, we want to thank you, God, for what this day means and what it represents, Lord. Holy fire falling, Lord God, upon the new believers, Lord God, Father. The birth of the new church. And so, Father, we pray once again that you will open hearts, you will open minds, cause us to be receptive to whatever you want to say and do in our midst this morning. And, Lord Jesus, we vow to give you all glory and all honor because you are worthy. So, Father, bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, as part of one of my modules in Bible college, we had to get into groups of three to write a collective paper on an event which altered church history. And each one of us, we had to focus on a certain portion of this, uh, this paper, kind of like the before, during, and aftermath of the event. And then afterwards... We had the joyous task of piecing it all together so that it came together seamlessly. And I tell you, what a mission that was. Anyhow, I am pleased to inform you that we all did very well. We all got a first on that project. Praise God. Now, the event that we were writing about was about the famous Azusa Street revival. Anyone heard of it before? A few. It occurred at the turn of the 20th century, and it lasted for approximately three years. And so from 1906 to 1909 in Los Angeles, a revival hit as God visits his people. And the Holy Spirit moved so powerfully that it was almost akin to what occurred on that first day of Pentecost. In fact, some have argued that the Azusa Street Revival is the birthplace of modern-day Pentecostalism. That every Pentecostal tradition that exists today could trace its roots back to the Azusa Street Revival, either directly or indirectly. And so, if modern-day Pentecostalism can trace its roots back to the Azusa Street and the Azusa Street Revival traces its roots back to the day to the book of Acts because it is there that we find the origins of the Spirit moving in power. And that said, my prayer for us in this season is, Lord, will you do it again? And that's the title for this morning's message. That God, just as you moved back then in power, will you do it again? Because he is the omnipotent God and he is the immutable God. He is unchanging. 
Yesterday, today, and forever, he remains the same. Do you believe that this morning, church? Amen. And so that said, if you have your Bibles with you, then please open up and come with me to the book of Acts. And we're going to read from chapter 2 and the first 17 verses. And it will also be up on the screen for you to follow along. And it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, or 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And we will stop right there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, Pentecost, it isn't as widely celebrated or as popular as Christmas and Easter, yet it is just as important as it commemorates the birth of the early church. And so, as we re-look at this event through fresh eyes, let us come with an openness, with a hunger and an expectation for more of the living God. And let us pray, God, will you do it again? And will you pour your spirit out afresh? Do I get a witness there? Amen. Praise God. Now, 
many in the wider church today, they will either downplay or they will overstate the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As in there will be those who will hold to the position of being a word church, while others will hold to the position of being a spirit-filled church. But the danger of holding on to either of these positions to the detriment of the other, it means that those in the word church may fall into the error of subconsciously redefining the Trinity to it being that of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Equally, Those who claim to be a spirit-filled church may fall into the error and they may even unwittingly go beyond the scriptures and apportion every weird and wonderful manifestation to the Holy Spirit. And so, either extreme, it leaves one open to either error or abuse. And so... We cannot afford to be an either or church, but rather it is imperative that we are a both and and church. Amen? It's like what R.T. Kendall once said, that just like in a divorce, the children will either go to live with either mum or dad. Likewise, the children in the church, they have either gone to be a part of a word church or they have gone to be a part of a spirit-filled church. But the truth is the two should never have separated in the first place, right? And so, as we re-look at God's word afresh, let us remarry the word and the spirit together and let us recapture the power that was poured out on Pentecost. Praise God. Now, as you know, Luke is the author of both his gospel and the book of Acts. And both of these together, they read as one story, but in two parts. As in, the gospel of Luke, it is all about the life and the ministry of our Lord. And then the book of Acts, it continues the story with the ascension of Jesus and with the reception of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, we see the promise of the Spirit. And then in Acts 2, we see the fulfillment of that promise. In Acts 1, the disciples are held back. And then in Acts 2, the disciples are unleashed and sent out into the world. Glory. But it all begins in Jerusalem. Where it says in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now... In the wider context, we not only see the disciples gathered together, but more widely we also see devout Jews who had gathered from all over the world. Why? Because they had gathered to observe and celebrate the Feast of Weeks, a.k.a. Pentecost. You see, according to the Torah... 
It was a requirement for all Jews to assemble before the Lord at least three times in the year to celebrate the various feasts. Deuteronomy 16, 16. And the feasts, well, they're just fascinating. Because God's calendar is so rich in pointing us towards the Messiah. How? Well, firstly, the word feasts in Hebrew, it is the term moedim, which literally means appointed times. And these appointed times for Israel are for them to remember and to reflect upon how Yahweh revealed himself as mighty and strong, loving and holy. What's more is that these appointed feasts, they reveal a much greater narrative. In that, the Passover feast it points to Christ as our Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians 5.7. The feast of first fruits, it points to Christ's resurrection as the first fruits of the righteous, 1 Corinthians 15.20. And then we come to the feast of weeks or Pentecost, which points towards the Holy Spirit and to the greater harvest of souls, Acts 2 and beyond. And so all the feasts found in Leviticus 23, celebrated by Jews today, they carry a much greater significance. As they all converge and they all point towards Yeshua HaMashiach, or Jesus the Messiah, the true fulfillment of God's prophetic word. Praise God. Now, don't you just love the Word of God? Because it really is the gift that keeps on giving. And we can never exhaust its treasure because it is so rich. I mean, just look at the parallels between the, the both Testaments. They are stunning. Get this. Israel leaves Egypt during the Passover and 50 days later Moses climbs up Mount Sinai to receive God's law. But as you know in the meantime Israel break covenant and they rebel as a result 3,000 people are killed literally. In contrast... Just after the Passover and after the death and resurrection of our Lord, Jesus appears to his disciples for a period of 40 days. And then afterwards he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And 10 days later or 50 days post-resurrection, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Peter he preaches on the day of Pentecost and in the power of the Spirit. And as a result, 3,000 souls are cut to the heart and saved. In other words, at the giving of the law, 3,000 souls perished. But at the giving of the Spirit, 3,000 souls were saved in this glorious reversal. Praise Jesus. 
And so, 50 days post-resurrection, the Spirit falls. And 120 men and women who were all gathered together in the upper room are filled. And verses 2 and 3, they shed some light on actually what occurred. It says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Glory. Now, this encounter with this holy hurricane, it would have seemed and been quite surreal. But at the same time, the sound of that mighty rushing wind and the fire resting on them would have drowned out the noise of all fear and doubt and it would have replaced it with courage and confidence, power and praise. And as the disciples were filled, they were also moved from having a cerebral knowledge of God to now having an experiential knowledge of God. In other words, head knowledge became heart knowledge as God became ever so tangible and real to them. And just like Jeremiah of old, he couldn't remain silent due to the fire that was shut up in his bones. Likewise, the disciples were now unable to remain silent. And so they opened forth their mouth and outpoured Christ-honoring and Christ-exalting praise. Hallelujah. It's like we've been singing this morning that we cannot remain silent. Jesus says if they tell them to be silent, the rocks will cry out because he is worthy. And as the disciples spoke in other tongues, those who were gathered around them, namely the Parthians and the Medes, etc., well, they were all amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? It's kind of like traveling to a foreign destination like India or somewhere. And while you're there, you hear one of the locals speaking in an Essex accent and they've never been to Harlow. How bizarre would that be, right? But that's exactly what these visitors were experiencing. That the disciples were speaking in unlearned languages. And what were the people hearing? Well, they were hearing about the wonderful and about the mighty works of God. Praise Jesus. However, just as the people were divided over race and language in the first century, Likewise, the people were also divided in the 20th century, particularly during the Azusa Street Revival. You see, tensions were high 
not only across racial lines due to the segregation laws, but there was also opposition across theological lines also as there were some who wanted nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. However, God used a one-eyed African-American man named William J. Seymour to lead this revival. And what occurred next is just phenomenal. Will you allow me to share just a few highlights? Firstly, due to immigration, people had flocked and were descending upon Los Angeles in search of the American dream, as it were. And as some walked past this little church, they heard the sound of praises being lifted up in their own native tongue. And they thought, hey, there's a bunch of our countrymen in there. Let's go in and check it out. But as they entered into the building, they saw that that wasn't the case. But rather, people were being filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit and were coming up speaking in unlearned languages, or rather, in their native tongue. And as a result, God was drawing all people from every tribe and tongue to himself. Glory. It was also reported... That people had to pray for strength, literally a couple of blocks away, in order to proceed to the church hall. Because the presence of God was so thick that they were unable to stand. Meetings were held seven days a week, and there were no hymn books, no instruments, and no prepared sermons. But everything was left to the Holy Spirit. In that no one knew who would be bringing the the word. Whether male or female, white or black, young or old, from the front of the church or from the back of the church. But what was clear was they, anyone bringing the word, unless they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, they would soon find themselves being silenced. As was the case of one particular man who came to tell Seymour that his meetings were a sham. But as soon as he opened his mouth in complaint... He come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and found that he could not utter another word. And God very graciously and very radically transformed this man from being a vehement opponent to now becoming an ardent advocate for King Jesus. What's more is that God himself will give the altar call as it were as his spirit fell on the congregation and as he did the divide across race and age gender and status it all began to fade as brothers and sisters were uniting in the faith and rejoicing in the sovereign spirit of the Lord glory I tell you As I sat in that library night after night doing my research, my heart became gripped and my prayer became, God, will you do it again? 
Will you fill us up and will you send us out for your glory, for your honor, for your praise and for your kingdom? Amen. And you know what, church? God is doing it. It is coming. So get prepared. It's coming. Amen. Coming back to the text, and in verses 12 and 13, it says that those who were gathered were all amazed and perplexed, saying, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Note the two reactions. In that one group of people were amazed and they genuinely inquired what it meant. But others were mocking and they dismissed it and sadly they missed it. Wow. And sadly, we still have both reactions alive and well today. In that some will sincerely and genuinely embrace a genuine move of God, while others will sadly mock. But can I urge us this morning, let us not be like those in the latter group who throw out the baby with the bathwater, as it were. But let us examine the evidence, see the fruit, and let us go where the truth is. Leads, Because in line with 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we do not wish to quench the work of the Spirit. Right? So let us discern like a Berean, Acts 17. You see, the Bereans would search the Scriptures daily to see if the things Paul said lined up with the scriptures. And if they did, they embraced it. And if they didn't, they rejected it. And so, is there a biblical precedent for being baptized in the Holy Spirit today? I believe so. Because in Acts 1.8... The disciples are told to remain in Jerusalem until they receive power or dunamis from which we get the word dynamite from because it is explosive. Acts 2 and beyond. They receive said power to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Why? To preach the gospel to cast out devils, to raise the dead, and to heal the sick, i.e. ministry. In Acts 6, we learn that the Spirit is not only limited to the apostles only, but the Spirit, he was also given to ordinary, everyday believers like Stephen, who needed the power of the Holy Ghost to wait on tables. Right? What's more is that we see this pattern laid out for us in the life of our Lord. As Acts 10.38 tells us that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing 
good. And so, if the champion of our faith needed the Holy Spirit, then how much more do we? Right. Later in Acts 2, Peter explaining the situation, he says that this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel who said that in the last days God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And when the spirit came, there is no mention to say that the spirit ever returned. No, you will not find that anywhere in scriptures. But rather, the scriptures confirm that he is still with us, very much so even today. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes even further and he says, be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 and note that this is written in the present tense. In other words, it is a continual action. And so a better rendering of this verse from the Greek would be be being filled with the Spirit continually because it is not a one-off experience, but it is continual. Isn't that exciting? Praise God. Now, I love the testimony of the late Dr. John White when he was filled with the Spirit. Now, John was a number of things. He was a psychiatrist, a missionary, a pastor, and an author. And in his book, When the Spirit Comes with Power, he writes, On one occasion, as I prayed with the elders and deacons in my home, I tried to teach them what worship was. I began to express worship conscious of the poverty of my own words. Then suddenly, I saw in front of me a column of flame about two feet in width. It seemed to rise from beneath the floor and pass through the ceiling of the room. I knew by some infallible kind of knowing that transcended my intellect that I was in the presence of the God of holiness. In stunned amazement, I watched a rising column of flames in our living room while my brothers remained with their heads quietly bowed and their eyes closed. The others who were present couldn't have perceived the blend of stark terror and joy that threatened to sweep me away. How could I live and see what I saw? Garbled words of love and worship tumbled out of my mouth as I struggled to hang on to my self-control. I was no longer trying to worship, but worship was undoing me, pulling me apart. And to be pulled apart was both terrifying as well as full of glory. Wow. In other words, in a similar fashion to that of the apostles of old, White was marvelously undone in the presence of God. How glorious. Wow. 
Now, do we need to be filled with the Spirit and be speaking in tongues in order to be a Christian? No, but you'll want to be. It's like you don't have to receive a check for a million pounds, but you will, right? And as we receive the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit, it is then that we are able to fully participate in the life and the ministry and in the service of our Lord. Namely, to reach, teach, and preach, and even to wait on tables like Stephen. In fact, unless the Spirit anoints me, I cannot even stand here before you this morning. Because to do such in my own strength, I will always fail. But when we do it in Him, we succeed. Because it is not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Zechariah 4, 6. Amen. Now, if you're wondering whether or not this power is available to you also, then let me say yes. Because it is available to all who have placed their faith and their trust in King Jesus. And the scriptures encourage us to desire the spirit and spiritual gifts, especially that we may prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14. And so firstly, there needs to be a desire, a hunger, and an appetite for more of God. Secondly, we need to ask Because unless we ask, why would we receive anything, right? And Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your perfect heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke 11 and verse 13. Now, You may already be doing all of these things. And if nothing is happening, then it could perhaps be down to a blockage or a sin issue, known or unknown. And if that's the case, then ask the Spirit to reveal it. Confess it, repent, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. You see... It's not that we repented and believed a long time ago and we took care of it way back when. No. But we are continually to live a confessional life of repentance and belief on a daily basis because how many of you know we mess up on the daily, right? And so we need grace on a daily basis and he is gracious And therein lies our growth and greater intimacy with the triune God. The one who calls us. The one who has done it all. And the one who continually he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Praise God. And so there needs to be desire. We need to ask And we need to live and walk 
holy. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. And that said, let me ask, are you hungry for him today? Because depending on how you answer that question, he will meet with you. Because God responds to hunger and faith. And if that's you this morning, you are just, you've had a gutful of just maintaining the status quo, of trying to do things in your own strength, of trying just to make ends meet, of trying to go through this, and it's just too tough, it's just flooring you. If that's where you are this morning and you, your desire is for more, then give God praise because even that desire is from God himself. And if that's your heart and if any of these things resonate with you, then just come to him. Because I don't know about you, but I want everything that the Lord has for me. Nothing more, but certainly nothing less. And that's what Pentecost means. In other words, it's an opportunity for us to re-consecrate our lives back to him. And as we do, my prayer is, God, will you do it again? That as we prepare our hearts as the altar, will you cause your holy fire to fall upon there once again, burn up the dross and refine us? That will you move through your people in Lighthouse Church and will you ignite a passion for your name and for your glory throughout this town and will you do it all for the glory and praise of your holy and blessed name? Amen. Amen. And if that resonates with you, then in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and stand at the front. And we're going to just come and we're going to lay hands and we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit himself will come and minister to you. He will fill you afresh with holy fire from on high. And you will be prepared and ready for acts of service and acts of just going out in his power for his name. So in a moment, when I say come, don't hesitate. If that's your heart, you are, you, you're dry or wherever you are. And the good thing about being dry is the fact that fire, it catches quickly when you are in that wilderness, that dry period. So as you come, just come. Now, if you're here this morning, and if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then I want to encourage you that you can. You can know him today. Because the scriptures tell us that those who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. For whoever comes to him, he will by no means cast out. And he came for us. He came for even you. It's like Philip Lianzi said, even if I was the only person, God couldn't love me anymore and he couldn't love me any, any less. It is done. And so if that's you this morning, 
And if God has been moving in your heart during the worship, whenever, during the ministry of the word, and you feel that tug on your heart, that you are just, you've had a gut full of just life that the way it is, and you know that there is more, and you want to enter into this moreness, then I want to tell you that there is a God in heaven, and there is a God who is here with us today, and you can know him. So again, don't hesitate, but you come as well. Or if you have questions, then we would love to speak with you. But please, don't go and without encountering the presence of this Holy One. Because the truth is, we are all trusting in something. Whether it be our careers, whether it be our spouse, whether it be our even children, or whatever it may be, we are all trusting in something. And the truth is, those things, they cannot bear that they cannot bear the pressure that we place upon them. They will fall apart. But the only one that we place our trust within, he is the only one who will uphold us and keep us and strengthen us. And he's the one who will never let us down because he doesn't know how to. And he's for you this morning. He really is. So you come as well. Just as I close, I want to close with this quote from Dr. Jerry Vines. And he said that the average Christian and the average church are somewhere bogged down between Calvary and Pentecost. In that they have been to Calvary for pardon, but they have not been to Pentecost for power. And then he goes on to say, and I love this. He says, Bethlehem means God with us. Calvary means God for us. But Pentecost means God in us. Amen. And so church, just as my brother tinkles the ivories, this isn't an emotional response or any of those things. It's not. But if your heart is, God, I want more of you. Will you come? Will you refine me? Will you fill me? Or even if there's any other prayer requests that you may have, come to the front. And, not, and a few of us, Pastor David, Carol, Colin, we, Becky, we will pray. We will stand with you and pray. But as you come, let me just pray. In fact, do you want to stand? Shall we stand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Bless your name.